What's up, everybody? We hope you are doing well. As we dive into the holiday season, there's nothing better than to take some time to give thanks. So thanks. Thanks for all the downloads of our show, messages of encouragement, responses on social media, and as always, thanks to our Patreon subscribers. We're taking a week to be with our families, spend some time together to try and bring some wholesome goodness back to our lives after we dump it all over the world as we record this show. We're going to revisit one of our early episodes, The Pilgrims. Bring your kids in for this one. They're learning about the Pilgrims in school, right? We'll learn them the real story of the Pilgrims, AHC style. Enjoy the show, enjoy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you again in a couple weeks with an all-new badass episode. Be kind to one another. Now let's dive into the Pilgrims episode of Asshole Court. Happy Thanksgiving. Gobble, 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 gobble. Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. It's that time of year if you're an American. You get together with family and friends, eat a bunch of turkey, drink a bit too much, and probably argue about the election. Now, I personally love Thanksgiving. It might actually be my favorite holiday. Not just because it's easy and relatively cheap, but because I genuinely love a heavy-ass chinette paper plate full of turkey and gravy, stuffing, and mashed potatoes. I like the crisp fall weather, the leaves turning, it's not too cold, not too hot. That being said, this is Asshole Court, and we aren't here to talk about things that I love. We're here to talk about the assholes responsible for a holiday that I love. The question is, were the pilgrims actually assholes? Were they bloodthirsty theocrats with an insane mission to destroy or convert the natives of the New World? Were they ruthless amongst themselves, eating the bodies of those that perished that first brutal winter in the New World in order to not only survive, but also assume the life force of their pilgrim compatriots? Or were they just a bunch of idiotic religious zealots that got way in over their head and got lucky in the end? We'll cover it all today on this episode of Asshole Court. Happy Turkey Day. All right, guys, preliminary scores for the Pilgrims. All right. So once again, I don't know too much about Pilgrims. <laughs> um, no, seriously. I just remember what we were taught like back in fourth and fifth grade yeah. about the Pilgrims. You know, they came over on the Mayflower. Is that? That is correct. All right. Yeah, that's a. Uh, so you're My, operating from a very surface level. <laughs> very surface level. Yeah, like and I they, think that it was the Mayflower. <laughs> pretty sure it was the Mayflower. Once again, fourth and fifth grade. That was many, many moons ago. Many, mm. many Thanksgivings ago. True. And I didn't really pay too much attention back then anyway. So in my head, I think Mayflower, I think blankets with chicken pox on it and uh that's uh, about all i know i don't think that the pilgrims came over and were just like hey keep warm <laughs> they're gonna die but you know so um i gotta assume that they came over with the best of intentions and um 
I'm interested to find out what we learn here today. So yeah. I'm going to give the Pilgrims a 4.0. Okay. That's an All initial right. asshole score. 4.0 for Buddy. So, um, yeah. Pretty surface level for me as well. You can't help but think of like all the good things the pilgrims did, right? Mm -hmm. They came over here. They started a lot of the civilization up north and made friends with the Indians, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. that's mm -hmm. how Thanksgiving started. Yeah. I'm sure we may hear a little bit more about that story today. Crashed right into Plymouth Rock. That's and, right. Yeah, you know. Which I always hear is like the biggest tourist trap in the world. Like everybody that's even up there, they're like, don't go see Plymouth Rock. It's just a stupid ass rock. Right. <laughs> like on the beach that says Plymouth 1620. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, you know, and the reason they came over was for religious freedom, you know, from most accounts, I guess I yeah, would yeah. say. I'm definitely interested to see what uh, what all kind of shenanigans went down. You mentioned in your intro read about eating people uh, on the way over, so I'm uh, curious about that as well. I'm also going very light for our, our pilgrim friends to start with. I'm going to give them a 3.5. 3.5, okay. And I suggested the topic. I honestly suggested it because it was more timely, more than it was like I had an axe to grind with the pilgrims. But obviously, you know, if you are interested in history, then you know that the Europeans came over and really fucked some shit up for natives mm -hmm. everywhere. And so my assumption was like, well, you know, the stories that we were told as kids usually tend to be, you know, through rose colored glasses, like very generous to the Europeans that came over. And I blame the French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As, as was evidenced in Christopher Columbus episode. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah we, we were like raised as like that Christopher Columbus was like a hero and stuff like that. So I made the assumption that we were going to get something very similar. So was, I found some of the stuff pretty interesting and uh, we'll get into that. But I would have said that I probably would have started off with the pilgrims uh, roughly in the range of a six because of my bias against European sort of, you know, invasive acts. And also that they were like super theocratic uh, and wanted like to establish like a a Christian theocracy over here. Well, and they had the whole beginning of skinny jeans and like the capri pants. <laughs> Again, just kind of doubles up a little bit. Of, I'm not they even say it always points. cycles back, you know. Yeah. I don't think jeans even existed then, did they? The pilgrims wore capri pants. Yeah, well, did they? Yeah, they, they, yeah. the stockings. And the high socks. And puffy shirts, yeah. <laughs> they did have the Seinfeld puffy shirt. All right. With a 4.0 from Buddy a 3.5 from Randy, and a 6.0 from Mikey. The Pilgrims pre-show asshole score is a 4.5. All right. You guys ready to learn about Pilgrims, Pilgrims? Let's pack this musket and fire away. All right. So like we were talking about every kid in the U.S. knows the story of the Pilgrims. It's like one of those pieces of Americana that are instilled into everyone as soon as they start school. I remember specifically being told the story, making the paper pilgrim hat and eating a crappy school cafeteria meal of lukewarm turkey and gravy, stuffing and sweet potato casserole. I like all those foods, except for sweet potato casserole. But when it's done poorly, it's really bad. As it was always done back in school. But the one thing that I did love back when we were in high school rolls all right mm -hmm. we always got rolls you know with that meal but we yeah. also got them throughout the year yeah and as upperclassmen you were allowed to go back and get any of the extra rolls at the end of the day and we i was good oh yeah oh, they'd bring the tray out and just put it on the table yeah you never hung around much after lunch anyway usually, uh, <laughs> it's true me and randy out. were there yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah i definitely ate my weight in rolls uh, yeah. back in high school yeah. so interesting thing about stuffing too most people serve a cornbread stuffing right mm -hmm. 
My oh, mom, it's divided. It, it, it is divided. And my mom is from up north, and she makes a bread stuffing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I grew up on, and I'll eat that shit by the pound. Yeah. But I, and I hype it up, and then somebody has it, and they're like, it's okay. Yeah, you yeah. Know? You're like, well, fuck off. That's my mom's yeah, stuffing. It's, it's it. the greatest it's, ever. It becomes personal. Yeah. I never had bread stuffing until I got with my wife, and their whole family does bread stuffing. Okay. We were on the cornbread side. We did. So in California, my grandmother that was from the south, though, so we did the southern style where she would actually stuff it into the turkey mm-hmm. and the giblet gravy, yep. which was, yeah, I will get down on some giblet gravy. I just don't like the whole into the raw meat and then cook it and yeah it does seem weird the but like, stuffing yeah the yeah i mean it seems strange but it seems like the juices cook into it which is really great so yeah i, I kind of like it but to each their own personally yes, yeah. it doesn't bother me at all but like i said with the pilgrims most people don't ever consider digging any deeper into the story than the nice children's book version which goes like this the pilgrims wanted a religious freedom so they leave england to head to the new world where they could worship like they wanted they made it to plymouth they struggled a bit Then they made friends with some Indians who shared their food. Boom. First Thanksgiving. Happily ever after. And cue numerous Americans bragging 400 years later about their ancestors having been on the Mayflower as if it's an accomplishment of some sort. Okay, but who are the pilgrims? A lot of people get them confused with the Puritans. You know, the other religious tight asses in buckle shoes and stupid hats that killed a number of innocent folks that they thought were witches. Was that like in Salem? Yes. Okay. They were sort of birds of of a similar feather. But they weren't exactly the same. Like the pilgrims were a very specific sect that came over here. Puritans were sort of just like, you know, I don't know. It's the like Lutherans versus Catholics. Okay. Right? Were they like kind of like the second batch that came over? Or? Well, the Salem witch trials happened, I believe, before this, right? Like it was like 1607 or something like that, okay. maybe. Or maybe that's Jamestown, I'm thinking. I'm not sure. They're very similar, but they're slightly different. However, the look is always the same. They have those big dumb hats with a gold buckle, and I don't even know if that's what they actually look like. But like I said, they were both Jesus nerds with no sense of humor, but the pilgrims are a little bit different. Pilgrims were effectively formed in 1605 when John Robinson, Richard Clifton, and John Smith decided to break away from the Church of England. They were one of the OG non-denominational churches. They didn't want any of the traditions or overarching power structure that came with the Church of England. And I mean, I get it. You know, who wants to have to ask permission from a church leader? You know, if I want to use jalapeno Cheetos for the Holy Sacrament, I'm just going to fucking do it. Don't want to send the uh, boat back home to clear it and make Mm -hmm. sure it's all right and then... You know, wait for that answer. Well, and you don't want to have to keep kicking that money up further. Mm. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's buck stops at the top when it's your own little church. But when you got to keep kicking it up to a bigger hierarchical setup, then, you know, maybe it's it's not the greatest. Not to say that they were obviously greedy. I'm just saying that that had to probably played into it a little bit. But the Pilgrims weren't the first separatists from the Church of England at all. There had been others like the Brownists who were founded by Robert Brown, uh, and they had broken away and paid some pretty steep prices for doing so. In 1559, the Act of Uniformity went into effect, and a fine was issued for anyone that missed Sunday or Holy Day service. The fine was one shilling, or roughly $30 today, for every service that you missed. Oh, wow. I would have had like a weekend at Bernie's like proxy, like sit in the, <laughs> the church altar for me. Yep. The problem was is that a lot of people would just rat your ass out back then, or they probably would still now, you know this what I'm saying? true. Those goddamn church snobs. Yeah. I think they're so much better than everybody. Yeah, yeah. They're like, why aren't you showing up to this building so that we can worship the Lord and (laughs) get your money? That's it. Uh, In 1593, a harder law was passed. It was called the Seditious Sectaries Act. And this law allowed for the imprisonment of the separatists. So, yeah, it was pretty shitty 
to be a separatist at this point. There's no way around it. And that was in England, right? The separatist this law. This is England, okay. yes. Around the turn of the 17th century, some separatists felt that they may have had some kind of way of fixing everything because they were betting that King James, of the King James Bible fame, was going to be cool with all the Christians. This King James was like a really religious dude. Like he was all about Jesus, which is why he spent a lot of time like reworking the Bible. Right. And, and it uh, has the most famous edition of the Bible, the King James Bible. Yep, exactly. So. Exactly. But it didn't quite work out that way. And in 1604, the Hampton Court Conference refused to make any concessions with the separatists. In fact, the new Archbishop of Canterbury, who's basically like the Pope of the Anglican Church, uh, his name is Richard Bancroft, and he launched an all-out campaign against the separatists. Puritans, Brownists, Pilgrims, whatever, dude. And Bancroft wasn't going to have any 17th century hippie Jesus freaks off doing their own thing. No, sir. When it came to worshiping the dead and then resurrected son of a sky wizard, it was time to get in line with the church set up strictly so that Henry VIII could legally bone a chick he wasn't married to at the time. Ah, yes. That's basically what the Anglican church was. Yeah. They set it up because they wanted a break from the Catholic church because Henry VIII couldn't get a divorce from Catherine. Right. Yeah. The Catholics are notoriously Mm -hmm. against divorce. Yeah. Yeah. So he just sort of went around that was like, but he got the hots for some other chick and was like, we're actually going to change our whole religion. Yeah. So I can go hit that ass one time. Yeah. Or many multiple times, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy as I guess, fuck. you know, when you're in power and you call the shots. Yeah. That's some fuck shit, though. I you mean, can't do that, sire. Unless you change the laws. Yeah. Well, I mean, how would, like, how would it feel to be like a believer? And then like one day they're like, oh, uh, we're changing a couple things here. Well, why are we doing that? Because... It's God told us to do it. It has nothing to do with Henry VIII wanting to bone Anne Boleyn or whatever her name is. I just can't imagine, like, at what point do you start doubting, like, the entire church (laughs) when they just, like, shift gears, like, we're doing a rebranding. Yeah. (laughs) It's new Coke. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, Bancroft suspended hundreds of ministers, fired some others, and this is really where the Pilgrim story begins. Robinson, Clifton, and the crew made a promise to God at this point to, quote, walk in all his ways made known or to be made known unto them according to their best endeavors whatsoever it should cost them the Lord assisting them. And I just want to point out here that these guys are all like, quote, we'll do whatever it takes to worship you our all powerful, omnipotent Lord. I mean, sure, you could use all of your universal powers to make worshiping you like way easier, but I totally get it. I mean, you could at least make it a lot less dangerous or costly to us, <laughs> but we totally understand. You have a super secret plan, the suffering and anxiety over our efforts to tell you how awesome you are every week. Well, it's probably just some sort of test to see how much we really love you. Don't want to have any fake friends in heaven, of course. So anyway, thanks for uh, everything. And we'll just try to keep on keeping on, not getting caught, worshiping how we want to do it and, you know, trying not to get caught some more. And you're going to put the right leaders in charge to make sure everything goes smoothly, right? It's such a weird mindset to be like, wow, this is really hard when, if this dude really just wants us to worship him, then he should, you know, make the pathway a little bit easier. A little bit easier, yeah. The best plan to worship without getting arrested or fined was to escape the reach of the Anglican Church entirely. And luckily for them, a fellow separatist with some international ties took a shine to the desperate little bunch. A former diplomatic assistant to the Netherlands William Brewster took a great risk and allowed the pilgrim leadership to meet and offer church services at his home where he was living as a postmaster at the time. And I, he also had ice cream shops on the side, right? 
William Brewster. That is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah. Sometimes a, a Brewster's fame. And sometimes there was a Nathan's there as well. Mm. Brewster's and Nathan's. Yeah. Just a little bit before the Stone Cold Creamery. That's right. Mm-hmm. Stone Cold Creamery. It's true. All of that is true. <laughs> <laughs> he was also talking to them about heading to another land where they could live free of religious persecution and worship freely. I'm talking, of course, about the N- Netherlands. Oh. Not the New World was, at all. Yeah. yeah. Another land called the Netherlands. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Amsterdam, to be specific. While most people nowadays go to Amsterdam for the freedom to worship casual drug use and prostitution, back in those days, it was a haven for folks fleeing the Anglican church. And after a while, somewhere around 1607, John Smith and crew floated on over to set up shop in Amsterdam. I've been to Amsterdam, and I'll tell you what, it is probably one of the coolest cities in the world I've ever been to. Yeah. I got to go to Europe a few years ago, saw London, Paris, Manchester, all of it, went to Amsterdam for three days. Holy shit. And it's not just because you can go into the head shop and buy weed and sit there and smoke it. And That's a bonus. That's just a bonus. It's for the red light district. <laughs> yeah, the prostitute. Funny enough, we got to the like the head of the street and just looked down and like, huh, that's where the hookers are. I was with my wife, so yeah. obviously we're not going down <laughs> the red light down? Special? No? All right. <laughs> Half All right. price for a, for a couple. <laughs> but just the city itself is cool as fuck, man. It really is. All the canals that kind of make up mm-hmm. uh, the city center. They got the art history. I'm not a huge art buff, but, you know, I went to the Van Gogh Museum, yeah. Heineken Brewery. And, yeah, granted, I was faded the whole time I was there, but, man, I we had a great time. Yeah. Amsterdam is a dope city, for yes. sure. Well, that's why the pilgrims went. That's right. They wanted to go yeah. to the Van Gogh Museum. They wanted to bring their wife in for the two-for-one special with the prostitutes. That's right. Red Light District. They wanted to smoke a bowl in a coffee shop. They and heard all the reviews and, and were like, we are sold. And yeah. You know what was kind of a letdown was the Anne Frank House. Because you see it, and it's been totally remodeled. It just yeah. looks like a condo in in the middle of a city. Yeah. And like this is where Anne Frank hid from the Nazis, and you're yeah. like, it's above is- a Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's mixed use development now. <laughs> she would sneak down there to get a, a, a mochaccino frate latte or whatever it is. PSL. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, cake pops. That's right. It's the oh, Pilgrim right. episode. It's a pumpkin spice latte she was after. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so they go, like I said, they go over to Amsterdam, and upon finding out about Brewster, the guy who was the... Um, ice cream magnet. Exactly, ice cream magnet, and the one that was uh, sort of clued them in on going to the Netherlands, after they found out about his super-secret separatist roots, his aiding and abetting of non-Anglican Jesus worshippers, the Church of England was super pissed. They had him burned at the stake in front of his friends and family and high school class. Ouch. I'm totally kidding. They gave him a <laughs> fine of 20 pounds. Roughly $8,000 today. Oh, yeah, and they didn't really even give it to him. They find him in absentia because, that's right, he was over in Amsterdam with the rest of his homies. So, when we see you next, you owe us. Yeah. We'll get if your we... money sometime there, Brewster. <laughs> we'll get that ice cream money at some point. We funny. He gets, like, a collection. A Western telegrams. Union collection. Yeah, exactly. A telegram or... Horseback carriage yeah. message. <laughs> Nick shut his credit card down. Please, ver- please verify your address, social security number, <laughs> and date of birth. I know what this is. Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm not signing for that. <laughs> yeah. You've been served, Mr. Brewster. <laughs> Anyways, the pilgrims lived in Leiden, Holland. But it wasn't super easy because apparently not everyone in a church group can actually make money by starting a church group. They actually had to work <laughs> for a living. And this wasn't easy for a lot of them. Because even though Leiden was apparently a pretty banging-ass town, economically speaking, a lot of the pilgrims came from rural backgrounds, didn't have an advanced skill set, and struggled with learning a new language. But it was still better than the dangers that they faced at home. 
This just reminds me of the scene from Blow where the big guy, like him and Johnny Depp are on the beach at the very beginning of the movie. And he's like, remember how we don't want to work and we just kind of want to just mm-hmm. chill? <laughs> you know, we could sell weed and that would, that would pay for everything. That's true. And they're like, hey, you know how we don't really want to work and stuff? We could just start a church yeah. and we won't have to do anything. <laughs> yeah, they could have sold weed, a weed church. <laughs> It's uh, close to Amsterdam, right? Or in Amsterdam? Yeah, right outside. Leiden's just probably a suburb or something like that. Yeah, so, I mean, they they go over there and they're expecting it to, you know, just, you know, God's going to take care of us. But the realities of economics come into play, even back then. So the pilgrims, they're over there in Leiden and they're struggling to make it. They're working low-paying, hard-labor jobs like leather tanning, hotel cleaning, and landscaping. Honestly, though... (laughs) I'm joking. Obviously, (laughs) there is something deliciously ironic about the struggle parallels between the pilgrims, the quintessential American story, and the current illegal immigrants, often despised by the same people that proudly claim to be descendants of the pilgrims. Like, they literally have like illegal immigrants. They didn't speak the language well. They're having to take piss poor jobs. They're probably busting their ass over there. And I just can't help but draw that comparison. By the way, I just want to point out something here. The number of people who can accurately claim to be descended from the pilgrims. You guys want to take a guess? Mm, all right, so how many came over on the boat? So roughly so, 100, Okay, so uh, 12,000. According to an AP article I found, there are an estimated 10 million living Americans and as many as 35 million people worldwide who descended from the pilgrims according to the General Society of Mayflower Descendants. Oh, wow. So if you ever meet somebody that actually brags about being descended from the Mayflower, tell them to get fucked because it's like they're one out of every 10 people in the country. Oh, uh-huh. I was way off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I found that in an AP article and I was like, wow, I didn't realize that. I didn't. Huh. I knew it wasn't that special. Yeah, my grandfather <laughs> used to tell us that when we were growing up. He's probably, it's, it's honest, you know, but who gives a shit? Again, you didn't do anything. You know, it's a chain of fucking all the way back 400 years. Good for you. But Robinson and Smith and crew did help out and offer some accommodations to these struggling pilgrims. A number of them spent up their savings, though, and sadly returned to England. And the pilgrim leaders were noticing that the ones that were still around were aging very rapidly, probably part of the stress and the hard labor thing. These two things weren't exactly great PR for the pilgrims. Because not all the pilgrims came over Mm -hmm. to Amsterdam. They were like, we're going to go over here. It's going to be great. First wave. Yeah, first wave. They're like, you guys put your money together. And when you're ready, you come over. Well, if people start coming back and being like, it's hard as fuck, man. I don't don't speak the language. They keep talking about building a wall to keep me out. I'm just kind of dumb. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, God, all I have to do is just collect piss to tan leather all day. That's what I do. These motherfuckers are making shoes out of wood. Yeah. (laughs) I got to cut down the trees. Yeah. yeah. And even the ones that were staying were coming back and they're like, God damn, John, you look like shit. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I can't wait for my, my day off sometime three years from now. Yeah. He's like, man, these hours are killing me. But, you know, at least I'm able to worship the Lord when I'm not falling asleep in the pew. <laughs> yeah. So nobody wants to go to a place where you're going to work yourself to death, work yourself old or become broke. Right. We're still... The children of the congregation were definitely not looking to hang around once they became of age to make that decision. They were leaving in droves. The leadership lamented their departure, stating that they were being, quote, drawn away by evil examples into extravagance and dangerous courses. Fucking Snapchat and Instagram had yes. them want more. That's it. And That's the it. music, man. The music always gets the <laughs> That's youth. That's right. You know? Always these punk-ass kids not understanding what's good for them. You know <laughs> what I mean? Just work yourself to death for the Lord. 
Jesus Christ, what's so hard about that? <laughs> so by 1617, Pilgrim leadership was all like, man, fuck Amsterdam. <laughs> we got to find a better place, or at least a place where it isn't so easy to get back to England. I mean, it's just like a fucking day's boat right away. Yeah, ain't far. <laughs> the New World seemed like a pretty reasonable option at this point. All the way the fuck over there, rugged, wild, and full of reasonably angry natives. No way could quitters or their punk-ass kids get back to comfy old England from there. Plus, they could convert those natives to their church. Win-win. But where in the New World? First, they considered Guyana. Okay. For real. The same really? exact location where 350 years later, Jim Jones would look to lead his <laughs> congregation for their religious utopia. Anyway, beyond that interesting coincidence, it's just kind of funny to imagine tropical pilgrims. <laughs> they would have had a completely different outfit, wouldn't they? They would. And what would that look like? The first Thanksgiving with mangoes and roast iguana, dropping the drab black and white, get up for more reasonable clothing in the tropics, like flip-flops, shorts, and a Tommy Bahama Aloha shirt? This hot, too hot, man. He said, if I'm not from the beach, if I'm not from <laughs> Jamaica, Jamaica, why would I be wearing this hat? <laughs> yeah, boy. There were other options, though. Virginia, for instance, that they considered, like Randy alluded to earlier. Mm-hmm. After all, Jamestown had proven that permanent settlements could be established and they could probably set up decent trade lines with those colonies as well. But they were concerned that if they were too close to the English settlements of Virginia, they might be considered part of those English settlements and the political climate might be identical or at least very similar. Yeah. Yeah. They were leaving England to go right back to England pretty much. Pretty much. And ultimately, they settled on a pretty large piece of property at the mouth of the Hudson River, very near in proximity to the new Dutch colony of New Netherlands and what is now known as New York City. New York City, that's right. They were pretty stoked on this uh, since they felt the Dutch were more deferential to their particular flavor of Jesus Christ fandom and they had the luxury of being near an established colony that they could like trade with and stuff. Robert Cushman and John Carver were sent to England to solicit a land patent with the London Company. Their negotiations were delayed because of the conflicts internal to the London Company, but ultimately a patent was secured in the name of John Wincob in June of 1619. Now the congregation was ready to head to the New World and establish Jonestown. I mean, <laughs> not Which Jonestown. ironically has its uh, massacre anniversary just like a week before Thanksgiving. Yeah, November 18th. That's right. That sounds like a Stephen King novel. Like that, there's this haunted place in Guyana that absorbs like religious <laughs> zealots and tries to kill them. Somehow the pilgrims escape, though, because they yeah. just boat fucked up or something. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it's not Jonestown. It's whatever they're going to call it. The original plan for transport actually included two ships. There was the larger and more famous Mayflower, which they leased for transport and exploration purposes. And then there was the Speedwell, which would serve as a transport for some pilgrims from Holland to England and then onto the New World, where it would be used as a fishing vessel. You got to have some source of income over there, right? So they were planning on doing some fishing. <clears throat> and um, trading you know. with the Dutch at that point, I guess. For yeah, that. I guess that would be around there or something like that. I don't know. It's just funny to hear like the business strategy for the pilgrims. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because when you're a kid, it's just like they just wanted to worship Jesus in the woods. <laughs> they just wanted a place where they could just get away from everybody and praise his name. But they're like actually like signing leases for ships <laughs> and like just trying to establish revenue streams. <laughs> Which makes actually a lot more sense as an adult. You're like, right. okay. Hey, yeah, all right. This actually yeah. does make sense. Yeah. Not everybody could make it, though, because the time frame was short and money was tight for many of the church congregants. Remember, they were going broke by working their ass off in Amsterdam. Yep. Um, so they decided on sending the youngest and strongest to establish a settlement. And then later on, they would send for the older, weaker members once the colony was more viable. 
But as soon as the Speedwell had departed the Netherlands, it began taking on water. Uh oh. Yeah. That's not good for a fishing boat it's or a not. travel boat. They made it to England, but decided that the Speedwell was a real piece of shit and unlikely to make the voyage, like trying to take a decrepit 85 Buick cross country nowadays, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. Interestingly enough, William Bradford thought that the leaking was caused by crew members who had intentionally overmasted the ship, putting unnecessary strain on the hull and causing the leak. So, yeah, it sounds like the ship might have been internally sabotaged to allow some crew members to avoid their year-long commitment to the Pilgrims. Hmm. They're like, let's just put a big, giant fucking mast on this thing. That meeting happened. Right. They're like, it's like me, Randy, and Mikey Pilgrims were like, man, we're not getting stuck with this shit. No, no. What can yeah. we do to sabotage this? We're going to England. We're not going to do this. Yeah, that, that's probably what happened. Like, some of them were like, let's figure out how we can get back home. I'm broke as shit, and I'm tired of tanning leather and, like, using leaf blowers all and day. And my, my girl's still in England, so mm-hmm. I miss out on that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like it was pretty much a sabotage job. So the Pilgrim Party was pared down from 120 to 102, from two ships to one, and they departed England in September of 1620. The voyage started out quite nicely, but just over halfway to their destination, they came under strong winds and storms, which caused a main beam of the ship to crack. Uh Uh-oh. It was apparently bad enough that a number of the crew were like, fuck this shit, dude, let's go home. They were actually further away from England than they were the New World, and they were still like, I don't. Let's just go nah. ahead. And, oh, let's see. It's a sign. Right. This yeah. is a sign from God. Mm-hmm. Turn around. Yep. Yep. But ultimately, they found a big ass iron screw and repaired the ship enough to get them to the finish line. I like to think of the Mayflower pulling into the final stretch like the Griswold station wagon pulling into Wally World on vacation. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Park's closed. <laughs> so they found like the 1620 equivalent of duct tape and yes. fixed yeah. it. And yes. we're like, we're going we're gonna to make it. Just a big ass iron screw. <laughs> hey, I got an idea. <laughs> you see, see that four foot long iron screw that we don't know what it even does? Let's try that out. Like a lady pulls it out of her fucking Puritan purse or whatever it is. <laughs> well, how about we try this out? It's fucking crazy. All things considered, it was a pretty successful voyage with only one crew member and one passenger perishing. Huh. Oh, was that pretty good by those standards or by those times? I remember reading People's History of the United States of America uh, by Howard Zinn. And it started out, he pulled like original source records from ships that were coming over and uh, it was a brutal voyage almost yeah. every single time. Like there was one passage that was in there where somebody, this is like I said, this is firsthand like contemporary reports. Yeah. And they were talking about like, there was a woman that was pregnant and she got sick and was like, just wouldn't shut the fuck up. And they just chucked her out of a porthole. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. They're like, just can't even deal with this shit, man. <laughs> See you bitch. You get to drink from the portal. Hole. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. imagine that, that little huddle. All right, guys, <laughs> this bitch will not shut the fuck yeah. up. And like, she's about to give birth to something else that needs to be eaten. I mean, on them titties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dude. We're going to rock, paper, scissors for this shit. Not it. Yeah, not it. I did the last one. <laughs> Hold on. It's going to take at least two of us. There's We're pushing two people out, really. <laughs> Can't we just put some rats in a room or something? Oh, uh, dude. Yeah, no, I mean, it was it was brutal, man. Like, it was the, those conditions were horrible. Scurvy was for real because yeah. they didn't get any vitamin C. So your gums just start to bleed. Your teeth get loose and fall out. You know, you're just pale and it's 
a shitty existence. And like they, all they had to eat was like hardtack biscuits. Yeah, I heard that they had a diet that was really high in salt. So a lot of yeah. them like came in very dehydrated, mm-hmm. malnourished right off the rip. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. Because uh, that was the only way you could preserve anything back then was salt. Salt, salt the or vinegar. Fuck out of yeah. it. Yeah. And even in uh, pickled stuff is really salty anyway. Yeah. So they yeah. get tons yeah. of salt. And there's no fresh water. That's why they were literally like cut water with like rum and stuff like that. Or they drank more beer. In fact, the pilgrims, apparently, there was a consideration that they were like, we may run out of beer at some point. Because mm. like water back then was, you, the uh, ocean dysentery like even if you brought water over oh, the water's yeah, yeah. sitting in some sort of yeah. fucking barrel uh-huh. and it can get contaminated real quick and that's how you get like dysentery or cholera those sort of outbreaks people get really sick so a lot of times like alcohol didn't get you sick so they were just drunk dehydrated oh. and uh just wiggly loose teeth i'd be like skanky steve put his hands in that barrel over there mm-hmm. i'm not drinking out of that no one. yeah going for beer going for beer <laughs> yeah i mean honestly think about it, like the people weren't washing their hands or brushing oh. their teeth no the stink, yeah, in that hole. Well, would you just shit. like uh, hang your ass over the side of the the rail or something like that? Yeah, the poop deck. I don't know. I, they call it the poop deck. I don't know if people actually pooped on the deck, but I mean that's basically what it was. Somewhere in history, some man was taking a shit over the side of a boat and went overboard. Of course, multiple times. <laughs> oh yeah. He like wakes up in the middle of the night, like oh, because you ever wake up in the middle of the night and you get bubble gut real bad, and you're like oh, if I just go back to sleep, maybe it'll go away, and then it wakes you up again. You're like, yep, this is diarrhea. <laughs> well, that happened on a boat to some guy. And he's just like, let me just get over here and hang my ass over the rail here. It's just oh. like, <laughs> dude. The final shit. Things things are looking bad. <laughs> Imagine being the guy in the crow's nest that night, and you're just kind of up there, hooty do, and you see the guy come out. He's hanging his ass a little far up. Oh, oh, there he goes. <clears throat> Two pounds says that he goes over. Yeah. Well, there actually was one of the members of the Pilgrim Boys that did get washed overboard, but actually managed to catch on to like the mainsail and then climb back on board. Because people got washed overboard all the time. That's to be a horrible feeling too. You're like a massive diarrhea dump, fall over into the water as you're just shitting all around you and you're watching that boat just sail <laughs> off to the horizon. Yeah, you see it on, a, what's that, Deadliest Catch, and you're like, oh, watch out, guys. But imagine that for the pilgrims, you know, yeah. like, there's no GPS, there's no coming nah. back. It's just, it's over. You're gone. It's gone. And they don't give a shit. We're not turning this thing around, dude. Hey, we got more room. All, all right. right. We just fucking pushed a pregnant lady out of the porthole. You think we're going to turn it around for your ass diarrhea, Dan? <laughs> That's more beer for me. <laughs> but yeah, so like I said, they, they only lost one crew member and, and one passenger. And that's pretty amazing. And they actually even offset the one pilgrim loss with the birth of a new pilgrim, which was named Oceanus. And that's a pretty fucking metal name, in my opinion. What? Oceanus Pilgrim. They spotted land on November 9th, 1620 in what is now Cape Cod. After roughly 65 days at sea. Brutal 65 days at sea. 65 days. days, Two months, yeah. Mm -hmm. Two months at sea, man. William Brewster promptly whipped out the Bible and dropped Psalm 100 on all their asses and thanks to surviving and making it to the new world. So they decided to tip to make it around the Cape to get to their destination by the mouth of the Hudson, but it was not to be because there was too many shoals and dangerous currents that made it impossible. So they turned the Mayflower around and they anchored in Provincetown Harbor. Trouble was that the landing spot wasn't where the investor contract stated that it should be. Uh, weird to hear that when we're thinking about the pilgrims, but it's true. Like I said, they had investors who were expecting the pilgrims to operate out of a specific area and create reliable revenue streams, which they would pay out. 
So what did the like basically the version of the Coast Guard back then signal back to England and was like, hey, they're not here. At some point, I guess it's this is where it really became an issue because there were some of the pilgrims who felt that their inability to land at the designated spot effectively nullified the contract with investors and freed them from it, allowing them to do whatever the fuck they wanted. So they were they just like reneged on the contract real hard. Huh. They were just right like the rip. pilgrims may have been deadbeats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God put us here for a reason mm-hmm. to null out this contract. Yeah. He knew it was a bad contract from the start. Yeah. So, uh, hey, this spot looks pretty good. Yeah. Who yeah. owns it? Nobody. It, we own it now. Yeah. The investors over in Amsterdam were like, did we check their credit? Did we check their <laughs> fucking credit? Who called the references? Yeah. I think that they bullshitted us on income here. <laughs> Something's not right about this. But yeah, so to remedy this weird situation, the Pilgrim leadership decided to draft their own contract known as the Mayflower Compact. The power of the compact was that it actually organized the group in a democratic fashion in which issues would be decided upon with a vote amongst the pilgrims. So it was more than just an attempt to bridge a gap between them and their investors. It was sort of a foundational step towards democracy. Mm, But it started with them just trying to get the fuck out of a contract with their investors. And the pilgrims had the great fortune of landing in a place where there was already a lovely place to settle. A beautiful village with clear fields and a spring. But the Pilgrim's fortune came at the misfortune of the village's original occupants, the Native Americans who had been completely wiped out by the diseases that were brought over from other Europeans who'd come through the area in the previous years. So, like, they had kind of retreated to this area and they were like, we're going to regroup and regather here. And then all of a sudden the Pilgrims come in like, hey, 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 hey. No, what had what happened was. What it, had happened was. What had happened was. <laughs> the cleared village was known as Patuxet and it was like one of the villages for the Wampanoag people. I think I pronounced that right. I don't know. If I'm sorry, any Native American <laughs> Wampanoag people that I didn't pronounce that right. But that village was abandoned about three years earlier following a plague that had killed all of its residents. The Indian fever is what they called it, quote, Indian fever, involved hemorrhaging and is assumed to have been fulminating smallpox. The outbreak had been severe enough that the colonists discovered unburied skeletons in the dwelling. So what a lot of people don't realize is that when Europeans came over, like a lot of people have the sense in their mind that like they came over and we just came over and just started killing wantonly, like shooting them and whatever. But the vast majority of the death came from smallpox. Yep. Yeah. They yep. were, I, I mean, the Indians were isolated here. They didn't have any kind of those European diseases or any exposure Correct. to it. So, like, it was the COVID of back mm-hmm. then. Yeah, it's true. But even deadlier because you don't even have any sort of, like, medicine at all for it. And I read a really great book called 1491, which is just a fantastic read if you ever have, like, if you ever want to get an idea of what the actual settlement was like here before any Europeans came over. And according to that book and what I was reading, like some of the estimates uh, are that 90% of native populations were wiped out by disease. 90%, nine out of 10 people. Yeah. So this village that they came across, like I said, they was so bad that they literally, obviously it was so bad that they didn't even bother burying the dead. And the pilgrims were like, this looks like a good place to pull up residency. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, there's a skeleton over there and a skeleton over there. Yeah. Kick it over to the side. Yeah. Our luck. Hey, you know. (laughs) The devastation of the Wampanoag people perhaps portended the rough winter that awaited the pilgrims as they settled in the former Patuxet village. Between the landing and March, only 47 colonists had survived the diseases that they contracted on the ship. During the worst of the sickness, only six or seven of the group were able to feed and care for the rest. And this time, half the Mayflower crew also died. Oh, wow. And they ate all of them. 
Well, don't, that's not true. I'm don't let that thing go to waste. You know? I, you know, well, how would you feel about eating a buddy? Me, myself, or yeah. y'all eating me? Either way, let's, you. Let's, let's, let's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If it came down to it, it is what it is. If you're already dead, and I'm going to starve to death, mm-hmm. just like that plane crash. What was yeah, it? Alive. Yeah, alive. Yeah. I'm going to say it right here, right now. Don't you guys kill me first? But if I die naturally, you can have some of my butt meat. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'd be the target. You <laughs> like, I eat up this motherfucker for a month. <laughs> prime rib yeah. motherfucker I, I would think that it would you know i wouldn't have that mentality but i've been watching alone the show uh mm-hmm. lately and i see what these guys get to at a certain point after like day 30 you mm-hmm. know and it's like okay maybe i i can see where they're coming i mean from. would you rather eat caterpillars or a butt steak butt steak yeah butt, butt steak. steak all yeah. day the Randy only thing that steak. comes with it is the stigma of having eaten said butt steak when you actually do survive and everybody's like that's the guy that ate those people <laughs> but they're all eating it with you at that point so. i would try to turn it into like a food network show and be like the joys of cooking humans or whatever <laughs> yeah oh and they start blowing the dust off, yeah. the, off the book of the simpsons that's it yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> i mean but i uh, you know i just i also would be interested what does it taste like I would give it a shot. <laughs> Tastes like chicken. Mm. Make a blood aioli out of everything. Oh, God. It's nasty. Sam. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, uh, they were really struggling through that winter. And it appears that God really had set the game to hard mode for these devout explorers. Things were looking really fucking bleak. And this is where the famous Squanto comes into play. Squanto, a.k.a. Tisquantum. I think that's how you pronounce that. Hmm. He actually became a translator for the pilgrims, and he helped them communicate and trade with other local native peoples, natives who had been lucky enough to survive the plagues brought by the previous settlers. He showed them the most effective method for planting corn, the best location to catch fish. Overall, he saved their fucking asses. But if you were like me, a six-year-old little boy, when you heard the story, you're likely asking yourself, how did Squanto know how to speak English? That was what I was just thinking in my head. Well, I I envisioned Squanto kind of like... An old redneck up there. I'll show you where to go fish. Oh, yeah. Show you how to plant that corn. He said, there's a little honey hole down there, you know. There's some naked bitches that swim down there, too. <laughs> nice titties. But nice no, white titties. <laughs> but as it turns out, this wasn't Squanto's first rodeo with Europeans, because the last time he ran into the English, Squanto had been captured and sold into slavery in Spain in 1614. He ended up actually becoming sort of a, like a novelty act. A trustee. Yes, basically. <laughs> and they sent him to England where he lived for a few years and picked up the language. And then eventually they let him go back to Patuxet. And when he returned in 1619, he found his entire tribe dead from the previously mentioned smallpox plague. So overall, it's pretty fucking chill for Squanto to help out people who belong to a nation that had previously fucked his whole life up. Yeah, Got to make it, a living somehow. Yeah, it's also important to note, though, that Squanto probably didn't do this out of pure altruism. The reality was that because the Wampanoag tribe had been annihilated, Squanto didn't really have a lot of backing when he returned to his hometown, and there were other tribes nearby, like the Narragansett, that hadn't been hit as heavily by the plague and thus had more power due to the circumstances. And those guys weren't chill either. So, nah. you know, everybody's like, oh, dude, they were super peaceful with each other. Fuck <laughs> no, dude. Those tribes were constantly at war. So Squanto and some other remaining Indians needed allies to survive themselves from the Narragansetts. Uh, so they waited until the pilgrims were good and starved out and therefore much less dangerous to approach them in form of coalition of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was like the original wolf that uh, got accepted in 
to yeah. the tribe, you know, like, and that's how we got dogs and yeah. stuff like that. So he was like, those dudes can probably help us out, man. He was like, they're dangerous right now, but let's give them a couple more weeks. That one looks like he's about to start. Yep. He just dropped. All right. We've got a couple more. There. There's what about 15 of those fuckers left. Let's <laughs> let all the big ones drop. Yeah. Uh, their uh, wives are kind of hot. I like white women. <laughs> yeah. He had a <laughs> white women magazine. <laughs> Squanto, popping a, <laughs> popping a squato, uh, popping a tento. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come a rocking if the tent is a knocking. <laughs> if my longhouse is a rocking. Because Squanto had shown the pilgrims the best way to plant corn, they ended up with a pretty successful harvest in 1621, and they decided that they would throw a three-day throwdown for their new native homies to commemorate the fact that not all of them had fucking starved to death. Yeah. They had turkey and dressing and mashed potatoes and sweet potato casserole, and they got mildly drunk, and they argued politics with each other until it got uncomfortable enough that they excused themselves to do the dishes, and then they drank more, and they watched a meaningless game between the bears and the lions, and they fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> now, seriously, though, the first Thanksgiving looked a little different than it does today. There was no mention of turkey being at the 1621 bounty, and there was no pie. See, settlers lacked butter and the wheat flour for a crust anyways, and they had no oven for baking. What is known is that the pilgrims harvested crops and that the Wampanoag brought five deer. So venison would be more accurate. That makes sense. Yeah. That is appealing, though. Yeah, venison is like hit or miss. It's hit or miss, it is. Yeah, but back then, I mean, that was the steak of the day, I'm guessing, so... Yeah, any food you get is going to be good. Like yeah. I said, they were just eating At their that point, pilgrim yeah. butt. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm tired of eating John Smith's penis. I don't, I got the penis last time. Uh, I don't want it again this so time. So chewy. Oh, don't kiss me. You've got penis breath. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to eat the balls. I'm already fertile. All right. <laughs> Have you guys ever had uh, bull testicles? <laughs> We've all had penis breath. Don't lie. Uh, no. Have you ever had like bull testicles? Rocky no. Mountain oysters. I've yeah, never no. had the Rocky I Mountain I tried them oysters. out. I tried them out like a couple years ago when I was up in uh, Charlotte and we went to this restaurant where they were all like, oh, we do. Yeah, it was like bone marrow. And I was like, fuck it. Let's try it all. They taste like chicken McNuggets. I like almost identical to chicken McNuggets. Were they cut like that? Kind of like, like almost like no. sausage patties. Yeah, they, like? I think if I remember correctly, they were breaded and fried and then sort of sliced. But I just remember being like, "This is just a chicken McNugget," and it could have been a chicken McNugget. Like it, they could have lied to us. So you know, I'm just saying, like if you had to eat John Smith's balls, <laughs> maybe it wouldn't be so bad, <laughs> depending on how you're eating them. <laughs> Um, the, the menu may have also included cornmeal, pumpkin, succotash, and cranberries. Uh, there were also no sweet potatoes in America, in North America at the time. Side note, pilgrims would not have eaten any potatoes anyways because Europeans believed they were poisonous at the time. What? Dumb as fuck. Oh, man. Man. How the Irish make all that They didn't happen. get potatoes until, like, way later. Really? In fact, they became so dependent on potatoes in the late 18th and early 19th century that that's all they grew because they were just like, I mean, there really are a ton of vitamins and stuff in potatoes. You can survive off of potatoes alone, which is why the movie The Martian. Uh, he, That's he, how he survived. Yeah, he time. just was like, I can just do potatoes. It's not a great living. But the Irish became so heavily reliant on it that when the potato blight came through, it wiped out all their fucking food. Yeah. And they pretty much starved. And that's when they came over to the United States where they became the illegal immigrants <laughs> yeah. that we all hated. <laughs> yeah. And there you go. Hey, the cycle continues. Fresh fish. That's it, man. Anyway, like I said, they did a similar party in 1623, and then the whole thing was largely forgotten over the next couple of hundred years. Forgotten, you say? Well, why do we make such a big deal about it now? 
Well, a couple things occurred in the 19th century that solidified the first Thanksgiving as an American holy day. In 1856, a 200-year-old copy of William Bradford's of Plymouth Plantation, 1620 to 1647, was found in an English library, published widely, and became popular. Perhaps inspired by the new bestseller, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow published his poem, The Courtship of Miles Standish, and it became the equivalent of a new Drake single on Spotify. (laughs) Monster hit, right? (laughs) And finally, as Plymouth fever took over the country in 1863, at the height of the Civil War, when a divided country sorely needed an origin story of faith and unity, Abe Lincoln makes Thanksgiving an official national holiday, a kind of thank you for the Civil War victories in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Hmm. Hmm. And honestly, up to that time, the first Thanksgiving arguably didn't even take place in Plymouth at all. There was uh, one that was in Berkeley 100 in Virginia, and that, that took place in 1619. Although the Washington reported that the meal probably was a little more than oysters and ham thrown together. So can you imagine Thanksgiving now where you just get a bunch of oysters <laughs> and ham? No. Uh, I've seen Thanksgivings uh, I mean, with ham. just a ham. I've seen the ham, ham. yeah. No, I've seen turkey. ham, but oysters. Then it becomes like spawn divots where people get, <laughs> get sick and die. Let's see. And then there was another one that took place decades before that between Spanish settlers and members of the Siloy tribe where they broke bread with salted pork, garbanzo beans, and a mass in 1565 Florida, and that's according to the National Park Service. Interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of sounding like Thanksgiving's more of like a Hallmark holiday. Yes. It happened, but like it just it was it was pretty commonplace to have like a harvest feast anyways. Right. It was just that this story sort of caught fire 200 years after the fact and uh, then it's, it's become a piece of like Americana. But it, like a lot of people that you talk to now are look at it as like the foundational like one of the foundational pieces of America, although it's forgotten till way past the fact. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the the idea that pops into your head is, you know, the cartoon pilgrim sitting there at the table with the cornucopia. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like that, that you think that happened back in the 1600s. And yeah, you know, everybody got along and it was yeah. just. And I thought it was like a continuing tradition. Like I thought, oh, every year they would yeah. have this. Nah, turns no, out. it's funny because you actually I, I read further into it, but I wanted to pare the show down to just thanksgiving pretty much but like later on they had all sorts of like financial problems because they figured out that you know the cod that they were catching could also be caught uh, elsewhere so there wasn't a huge demand for it so they were trying to get into like fur trading and were ended up like going up towards maine but like the, the natives that were up there were like blocking them and they were having like they were literally like a startup company that was really struggling <laughs> you know what I'm saying? every corner they went yeah. it was just like oh another dead end yeah yeah like in our minds i think we imagine like squanto and them were all like buried together like they were homies for life but it was just like Maybe they hung out for a couple of years just right. out of, how to plant corn and out of uh, necessity for all of them yeah, just to yeah. survive. So there you go. That's uh, the pilgrims and the first Thanksgiving. Interesting. Wow. Interesting. All right. So for my recap, good informational session today. Mm-hmm. I learned a good bit. Asshole factor wise. It didn't seem like they were, you know, yeah. all too the all too bad. You know no, what I mean? It doesn't sound like that they were bad. It sounds like, I mean, for the most part, they just came over and. We're just trying to start a new life. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem like they had that really like ill intentions. Right, right. right. And I didn't know that they went to Amsterdam first to mm-hmm. try and live there. And then kind of funny, they're like, pick the biggest, strongest guys to go over there and maybe they'll survive the journey across the sea. They're like, oh, go with John Smith. He weighs at least 115 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> He's built like a brick shit house. He's ready to get over there and make it happen. He's got to be at least five foot 
Five. Yeah. yeah. God, big burly man has at least two of his teeth. <laughs> but I guess my preconceived notion of Thanksgiving being like a, a yearly tradition since it started and uh, like you said, kind of the feel good behind mm-hmm. oh, the Indians and the settlers and the pilgrims and all that. It kind of washes itself out, you know, as yeah. as we saw. So end of the day, I started them out pretty light. I'm not going to go up too much. We have a four. Mm-hmm. Final score of a four for the Pilgrims. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I mean, I gave them an original score of a 4.0, but mm-hmm. after hearing everything, it just sounds like they were, you know, just trying to have a better life, maybe escape a little bit of religious, not persecution per se, but just uh, religious dominance. Freedom. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Freedom. Yeah. And well, just, they could have had it in Amsterdam, but they just didn't. Like people it was kept, hard. But people it was kept hard. leaving their church. So they were like, <laughs> we got to figure something else out here. So, I mean, they, you know, I, I guess when they didn't land in the right spot and they started to be like, all right, well, maybe we can just negate this whole mm-hmm. contract out, you know? Yeah. Uh, I do the same thing, though. <laughs> I, I got to imagine that that wasn't everybody like had that idea all at once. I think that was more like an idea that was had and then it started to kind of catch fire a little bit more. So mm-hmm. then everybody pretty much said, fuck it. Mm-hmm. Why this not? Where we're at. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, who's going to come after us? I mean, we got to survive over here. And yeah. like Mikey was saying, you know, why do we got to keep on kicking up? when we're getting the shit kicked out of us mm-hmm. already. Yeah. It's um, kind of like when you like uh, buy a new car, then you drive like seven states over and just stop paying your bills. <laughs> come and get it, asshole. I moved to Texas specifically because the law is real tough for you to come get my shit, motherfucker. Bring it, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. So I don't really see them as assholes. I look at them as survivors, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, maybe ill-informed, but they had high hopes and uh, just kind of got their asses handed to them, sounds like, especially after that first winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were actually kind of lucky to find Squanto or, you know, extremely lucky. Yeah. What if they had been 50 miles south or 100 miles south? Oh, can you imagine landing in November in like Cape Cod? That's you're what like, I was thinking. You're man. just like, God. this isn't a good start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did we do, Lord? What do we have? He said, we have some pickled eggs. We have uh, some hardtack biscuits and we got John Smith's penis. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I started them off with a 4.0, but I'm going to roll them back to uh, Randy's initial score, and I'm going to go with a 3.5 All as right. a final asshole score for the Pilgrims. Okay. And I started them out with a 6 because of my bias, uh, biases, and uh, I ultimately came to the same conclusion. I was like, man, they just sound like they were just poorly, like a poorly planned startup business. There's some bullshit in there for sure. But like I said, they didn't actively go out and try to kill natives that I'm aware of. You know, there was, I'm sure there were some skirmishes later on or what have you. So, yeah, I'm going to roll it back. I'm going to roll it back two. I'm going to say that their standard asshole level uh, of a four. I'm going to go with a four as well. And, uh, you know, there you go. Whereas uh, Christopher Columbus was a complete monster compared to the stories we were told. This actually was fairly accurate story that we, uh, I mean, th- the there's only not- thing that was not accurate was pretty much like the whole turkey and mashed potatoes that, and stuff. They're missing the they're missing the nuance of the story, but you can't really do, give a big explanation like this to first graders. Right. So yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, a yeah. it's a relatively accurate story. Yeah. yeah. They could have stayed in Amsterdam though. That's the thing. Is yeah. like, what cracked me up is they were like, we gotta get the fuck away here. So that <laughs> <laughs> these little young motherfuckers can't leave us and go back to England. All right. With a four from Randy, a three point five from Buddy, and a four point from Mikey the Pilgrims' final asshole score is a 3.83 repeating. Okay. That's the lowest we've had. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so. really low. So The Pilgrims are the lowest assholes we've had. That's it. While Christopher Columbus was the highest asshole yeah, that we had. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. 
Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. If you like what you hear, tell others to check us out as well. You can find all of our shows on your podcast platforms and on social media at AHC Podcast. We'll be back in a couple weeks for another episode of Asshole Court. So until next time, stay safe, enjoy your holiday, and more importantly, don't be an asshole. This is Asshole Court.